All right, well, I want to do something a little different tonight. If you'll get out your Bible, uh, we had, I knew we were going to have less people, so I thought we would do something a little different. And it is um, also the 25th anniversary of Cornerstone this Sunday. So um, we've been thinking a little bit about the church, and um, I thought maybe we could talk about some of the characteristics of a healthy church tonight. We did a little bit of discussing of that at our elders meeting uh, last night, and I thought, you know what? This is good for us all to think about. What are some of the like characteristics of a church that's really functioning the way that it should at maximum, you might say? Um, because churches are a little like people. You have saved people and you have unsaved people. And you have churches that are churches and you have churches that are not churches, but just groups of people meeting together. And that all depends on uh, what they believe, their doctrine. Um, but you don't just have true churches and false churches. You also have churches that are more healthy and churches that are less healthy. You have churches that are more effective and churches that are less effective. Again, I guess like people, you have churches that are at uh, different stages of sanctification. And so I just want us to ask, what are some of the marks of a mature church? What are some of the characteristics of a healthy church or a successful church? Um, First of all, because we all need to know what goal we're aiming for. I mean, we're getting together a lot and uh, investing a lot of energy in the church. And so we need to know what, what, what kind of church does God want us to be. And then also, you know, some of you young people, like, um, you need to know what does God want for the church um, because you are the future church. So you need to know... What kind of church should I seek to help this church become? And, you know, you may not always be here at this church. And so you need to know what, what, what should I look for in a church? What, what does God want the church to be? And um, probably, I'm sure, the primary reason this is important is because the church belongs to God. So it's not uh, our church. It's not our idea. And uh, it serves a huge purpose in this world. I think uh, this Sunday, when we get together, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church in the world. And um, really, there's no more, there's no organization that's more critical to God's plans for the universe than the local church. So the, the church is really important. And so we need to know and we need to think about uh, what makes a healthy church because people have a lot of different ideas. Um, some people, I don't think, think about it very much. Uh, maybe they just always have been going to church, and so they don't think about what a good church is. Other people just show up. I think uh, more and more people uh, don't really um, really think deeply about how, how does God want the church to work. Some people just get excited if there's a lot of people, and they think, okay, that must be a really good church because there are a lot of people who are going. Some people just like excitement. Uh, there's a Facebook friend I have uh, who's a pastor of a church, and it sure seems like that's what he's, uh, he's selling in terms of uh, why, why he, what he thinks a healthy church is. Um, some people are very self-focused when it comes to a church, and they're mostly thinking, okay, how does this church meet my needs? 
Uh, but what does the scripture say about a healthy church? And uh, there are a lot of different places we could look. We're just doing something different than communication tonight. Lunar New Year, uh, lots of people missing. We're thinking about the church. So, yeah, thinking. So if it seems weird, but that's why we're doing it. But maybe we can start with Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47, which I know is a really classic text on the church. And Acts, of course, you know, is a story of what God did in the early church. And it was a really exciting time for us as Christians uh, to read about the church starting and Jesus at work here. And it's reading Acts a little like reading the story of the founding of our country. Um, and the Revolutionary War as an American. Because obviously, you know, we're not living in the Revolutionary War times, um, and things have changed, but we are living in light of what happened at that point in history, and it has implications for us. And so sometimes studying Acts, it, it, you have to be a little careful and ask, well, is this something that I'm supposed to do, like imitate? Or is this just something that happened in history that I need to learn from and rejoice in? But uh, there are moments in Acts where Luke stops and he's like, let me just summarize for you um, some things that you need to see and understand and not miss. And we find one of those summaries here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Um, John, would you read that for us, Acts 2, 42 to 47? Yeah, thanks, brother. And so let's just notice what uh, the early church devoted themselves to and then uh, some of the results, because I think Luke is including this to help us get a glimpse into what makes a healthy church. And so first, what did they devote themselves? Luke, he gives us four things, but I'm just going to put two of them together, so we'll say three things. One, obviously they were excited about learning from the scripture, and that's definitely a mark of a, of a healthy church. Luke says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so what do, you mean, what, what do you say when you say you're devoted to something? What would be the opposite of the word devoted? What's the, what do you think, Levi? What's the opposite of the word devoted? Not devoted. That technically is true. That's deep. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. What, uh, what, does, what are you saying when you're devoted to something or when you're not devoted to something? What's that? apathetic, lacks commitment, somebody's apathetic to something, a person who's not devoted, if it happens, it happens. It's not really an issue to them either way. When a person's devoted to something, he's saying, this is going to happen. I, I must have this. I, I absolutely am passionate about this. And Luke is saying, uh, when these believers were added to the church, they took 
the Word of God seriously. One of their priorities was learning from the teaching of the apostles. And obviously, we don't have apostles around anymore, but we do have their teaching uh, in, in the New Testament. The ap- apostolic teaching is everything that's contained in the Word of God. And so um, in the early church, they could sit and listen to the apostles. And so when someone was added to the church, they made it one of their top priorities to go wherever the apostles were and sit under their teaching. Um, But that's what we're trying to do thousands of years later as we give ourselves to studying God's word. And uh, I don't think it's an accident that this one comes first in Luke's list because everything else when it comes to the health of a church, hangs on it. Are we faithfully and accurately teaching and preaching God's word? Are we eagerly listening to it and learning from it? What would you think, um, this is, I mean, pretty obvious. A healthy church is going to be devoted to God's word and eager to learn from God's word. What would be some signs that that's really happening? What would you say nowadays it would look like for a a local church congregation to be devoted to God's word? I mean, we could say some obvious things and maybe not some obvious things, but what were you going to say, Will? Okay, yeah. So one, obviously, Sunday mornings we know would be a, a big time where they take God's word seriously. Let's sort of dream a little. What would it look like for a church like Cornerstone to be um, for Luke to watch us and then right they were they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? What do you think would be some of the things Luke that would cause someone to write that down that a church devoted themselves to the to the Word of God? Okay, yeah, we're going to see the results of it for sure. Some some. Life transformation. Okay. Yeah, what they taught. Okay, so someone, if, if they're watching and saying, is that church devoted to the word of God? You would expect that they would hear us talk about the word of God to one another in our conversations, yeah? What does a person who's hungry to learn anything look like? What does a group that's hungry to learn anything look like? They study it, they think about it, they, what are you going to say, Martin? Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah. They ask questions. Um, they, there's an anticipation for learning. Um, yeah, they, especially since it's the Word of God, we're thinking about how to apply it and how to, um, we know James, we don't want to just be hearers only, but doers, so there's a, there would be like some sort of commitment to remembering what they studied. Um, yeah, so certainly devoted to God's Word would be, um, we're all human, so we're finite, and we get tired and all of those things, but in general, if we're devoted to God's word, it wouldn't feel like dragging people along to to want to study, right? Um, and if somebody's devoted to, to God's word, you wouldn't expect that it would be like um, old hat to them. It would kind of be something that there would be uh, 
and anticipation. Um, take it seriously. Well, second, Luke says, uh, these early Christians devoted themselves to, verse 42, the fellowship. So a healthy church is a community eager to learn God's word and is committed to pursuing biblical friendships with one another. The fellowship's kind of a funny way of putting it, but it basically means they devoted themselves to one another. Uh, the word that he uses is koinonia, and it's translated in the Bible as sharing, contributing, taking part, participating with one another, which is um, one I think we have to think about in our culture especially because uh, we're consumers and sort of individualistic, and relationships take time and effort. But Luke is saying that being a member of a church or part of a church is not supposed to be like going to eat at a restaurant. So, you know, when, I, when we travel or when you travel, you sometimes have to eat at an airport restaurant, and there are lots of people there. And um, you're sitting there, and you have all these people eating at tables around you, and um, you don't feel any connection to the people sitting at those, at those tables, really. They can come and go, um, and you really don't want to necessarily have a conversation or get to know them which is very different than the way we, that I feel when I get home and I sit down at the table to eat with my family, obviously, because those people matter to me. And so with my family, it's not just that we're all happening to eat at the same table. We're in this thing together. We have a relationship. And that's the, that's the way it's supposed to be when it comes to the church. These people matter to you. And so if you're at a restaurant and somebody's not there, you don't usually feel like, oh, man, I can't believe they're not here today. Though my mom's getting to be a little bit like that when she goes to restaurants. She's really a friendly lady, so she'll often be like, uh, notice if a waiter's not there and not, <laughs> not and be bothered. But um, usually when you go to a restaurant, you're not thinking, I can't believe this person didn't show up. But if you're with your family, when your wife's missing, she matters to you, right? And this takes effort for us, I think, as a church, because we're talking about something bigger than just being polite to one another. You know how like at a restaurant, if it's your birthday, the waiters sometimes will gather around your table and sing, which I hate. <laughs> um, because those waiters I know don't really care that it's my birthday. And when I'm at a restaurant and somebody, it's someone else's birthday and they're singing, I'm happy for them, but it's not the way I feel. When I'm at home enjoying the birthday of one of my kids, I love singing, and they know it. They know it because they're my family. Um, like the church. The church is not a group of people that are disconnected, just trying to pretend to care for one another. Um, we're different, and some of us are quiet. Some of us like to be by ourselves most of the time. Others are loud and want people around them all the time. But Luke's not talking about personality or culture. He's just, it's just reality. We are family. And in a family, we have different personalities, but that, the, our personalities don't excuse us from our responsibilities to the family. So if I have a son and he's quiet, that's great. But if he never comes to meals, he never helps out with anything, if he's always in his room, if he never reaches out to his brothers and sisters, and I say, son, what's going on? And he's like, you know what? It's just my personality. I'm, I'm quiet. I don't say, oh, that makes sense, 
that's your personality. I say, son, I love you, and I'm not asking you to be a loud, crazy guy, but you're part of a family. That's a reality, and there are certain responsibilities that come with that, which is true of the church and of believers. Way back at the beginning of the church, um, they understood that, and that's why they devoted themselves to fellowship. They made a commitment as they were added to the church, first to learning from God's word, and then secondly to partnering with one another and to really fellowshipping with one another. And Luke gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. He says, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's the next thing. In the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. And um, you have to ask, what does Luke mean there, breaking of bread? Because there are two options. One is really obvious, and that would be they broke bread together. They ate a lot of meals in each other's homes. And we see that is what he's talking about in verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, um, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. And uh, they describe breaking, eating meals together as breaking bread because in those days, the Jewish father would begin a meal by breaking a piece of bread and then pass it around to his guests to share. And some people think, though, uh, this, this is the second option, that Luke's being more specific and he's saying... Um, he's talking about the Lord's Supper when he talks about the breaking of bread. And I, I don't know which it is, but I don't think it matters because when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it usually actually was a supper, not just like a little cracker. <laughs> and so when someone became a member of the early church and they said they devoted themselves to these believers, it wasn't just a matter of words. It made an impact on the way they lived. And one of the specific ways it impacted them was that they started getting together with other believers in their homes to eat a lot. And sometimes when they would get together as a church to eat a meal, they would focus on the Lord's death and celebrate communion. And, and um, that's a characteristic of a healthy church. A healthy church is filled with people who see themselves as part of a family, and that means they're, they, spend, they find ways to eat, <laughs> spend real time with other people, not just here on Sundays, but in each other's homes. Um, and that's, I think, a, I think that's, a, that's a challenge. We're trying to, to figure it out uh, here in our culture with everybody running at pace and um, living far away from one another. But certainly if we're going to be a healthy church, um, it's going to be more than just a conference. It's going to involve us um, really seeking to find ways to develop deep relationships with one another. And um, one of the ways the early church did that was by eating together. That's why we started the life groups the way we did. Because meals slow you down. Um, if you want to understand what's going on in someone's life, how they think, there's hardly anything better than eating with them. Third, they were eager to learn from the Bible. They were pursuing biblical friendships. Third, they were committed to prayer. Um, Luke says they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And when he says the prayers like that, he's talking about corporate prayer. That's why it's in the plural. Uh, he's talking about something a group of people do together. So the early church would get together a lot to pray. Um, and you see that all throughout Acts. Acts 1.14, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 6.4, we'll devote ourselves to prayer. Acts 12, you remember where Peter gets out of prison. He goes to the house, and what were they doing? They were praying. Um, which is something I think that 
we can learn from people who are part of churches in other parts of the world because um, sometimes in America we talk more about prayer than we actually do pray. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you, or do you think that is? And why do you think that is? Yeah. 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 Yes. Right. Yeah. That's right. We don't feel as needy. Yeah. Why do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So one characteristic of a healthy church is they really want to learn God's word. Another characteristic is they really want to be with one another. And another characteristic is they really do a lot of praying. Um, what What's the new thing that uh, Hian's working on and you guys are working on when it comes to praying as a church? Okay, yeah. seen churches pray together well in the past that you think are encouraging um, models for us to to learn from? Okay. Yeah. Yeah idea. Yeah, Mar. Oh, Brackenhurst, yeah. That was one of the coolest things I had seen, yeah. Yeah, so you'd come into like a, it was an evening service and there were like 300, 400 people that came early and they just got together in groups of three to, to pray for a half hour, 45 minutes. It was really beautiful. They did that every, every Sunday. Oh. 
Yes. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. 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 Super helpful, too, when people pray um, a bunch of short prayers. Yeah. I know. Well, the early church committed themselves to, it wasn't complicated. They committed themselves to these three things, and it had results. First, you see, it, they experienced the awe of God. They experienced an awe of God in verse 43, um, which is an important sign, right? A healthy church is, is not just talking about God. It fears God. Um, it's not just doing religion. There's amazement. There's awe. There's an interaction with God that's characterized by reverent fear, um, Luke says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And the word all means um, fear, basically. And this is what motivated them to study God's word and to get together with other believers and to spend time in each other's homes and to pray. They were in all of God. And of course, Luke talks about signs and wonders here, which is not something that we experience in the same way any longer, but we're done by the apostles as a way of proving to everyone that they really were speaking for God. Uh, But even though at this point in the history of how God's saving the world, we're not doing the same miracles they did, we should be praying God creates in us the same kind of reverent fear they were experiencing in the early church. Because there are like a million different reasons for us to be astonished every day by the greatness of God. God's loaded the world with things that should amaze us and loaded his word with truths that should stop us in our tracks. And the reason we don't experience awe is because it's not because we're not seeing miracles, but instead because our eyes are closed to who God is and what God's doing. And that's part of what we should be praying about. Lord, please um, help us not just be a group of people who get together and do religion and sort of um, go through the motions but really uh, experience, um, are amazed by you. Can you think of um, what it would look like for a person to be in all of God or um, a church to be in all of God? What, um, what are, maybe you could think about what are some things recently in your life that have caused you to be in all? I was thinking to, today, you know what's so funny is like that Apple Vision Pro came out. I was thinking this actually yesterday. So I'm going to talk about this a bunch than I know. But like Apple Vision Pro came out, and people are in so in awe of this thing, right? And it just feels like a cool trick to be so in awe of like technology that in, at the end of the day is not going to save anybody. It's just going to entertain you for a little while. Um, and maybe make a few things easier and not be in all of like the sky or, or like the fact that God saves sinners just feels like sometimes things get upside down in terms of what really, really amazes us. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what that's a, a little characteristic of what all an all filled life looks like. Um, I think this is one thing that's missing in a lot of our lives though, as we go along is awe. And um again, it's not because there's not reasons to be in awe. It's because uh, something's got funky in the way we look at the world. That we're missing some of what's amazing. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 No, I guess like uh, going into a king's presence, it's going to be some awe. John Piper tells the illustration. He's like, if you saw a tornado coming right at you, just making, you know, tearing up everything in its path, and it was coming right at you, you would be in terror. But if you were hid, like if you were hid behind a rock, a mountain, and you, could, you knew you were safe, but you saw that tornado coming, you still would be, you would still have a sense of like, wow, you know? And as we come to God, we are safe, and he's our father, but he is, he's, 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 he's God. <laughs> he's, he's, he's other. And um, there should be a sense of all um, that characterizes our church. And I think that's supernatural, and we have to really be praying, Lord, um, please help us not um, fall asleep. I, sometimes I feel like technology's anesthesia to awe because really to be in awe, you, you need to m not just be looking at your TikTok videos, you know. <laughs> um, even sometimes... For me, after having a good time of God's word on the, you know, going to the kitchen afterwards or something, looking at my phone and scrolling through, just been in the presence of God and now I'm seeing something about like, I don't know, just some goofy thing about aliens or <laughs> a million stupid little things as you're scrolling through. And it's like, wow, how quickly your mind goes to something so trivial and so small. Um, but the only church, a healthy church, is going to be characterized by uh, a sense of God's greatness, a fear of God, and then characterized by a spirit of sacrifice as well, generosity, which is the next result. If you look at in verses 44 through 46, Luke says, all who believed were together. They wanted to be where other Christians were. They uh, couldn't be happy, really, without fellowship. They, then he says they had all things in common, and that just means um, that they didn't care so much about their stuff as they had before. 
and they were more concerned about each other's good. Um, and so it's not that the stuff stopped belonging to them, but instead their attitude was uh, really what's mine is God's, and so I'm happy to share it. Um, and they really did. They were radically generous, verse 45. They were selling all their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And part of the reason for that was because many of the people who had become Christians weren't from Jerusalem and had come for the Passover, and they became Christians and they stayed around. But they were from far away. And so um, the believers didn't just look at them and say, okay, I uh, hope you can survive. Instead, they said, you know what, let's, let's help these people. And uh, that's how it should be for us as God's working in our church. We're going to be asking, how can I use what God's given me for the good of other members of the church? We're going to be uh, generous. Um, we're going to love to sacrifice and give to others. Um, that's one of the things we really gave praise to God for as missionaries. It's neat to see the generosity of God's people. Um, one hard thing about being a missionary is people giving to you. <laughs> it's deep, but it's, it's humbling for people to give that you hardly know. And so often we would really be supported in uh, shocking ways by people who hardly knew us but just wanted to um, glorify God by uh, giving to the ministry. And um, I think that was one of the biggest encouragements to us sometimes when we would get discouraged maybe about the state of the church was just how many um, incredibly generous people God had raised up um, who loved Christ and who loved his mission. Um, another characteristic of a healthy church here is that they're evangelistic. In verse 46, Luke writes, they were attending, and day by day they were attending the temple together. And that seems kind of weird, but they had been Jews. They were in Jerusalem, and so the most obvious place for them to meet was at the temple because that was the only place really big enough for them all to gather and pray together and hear the apostles teach. Um, and I think maybe one of the reasons they wanted to meet in the temple was because if they got together in the temple, people would start asking questions, and they wanted to serve as witnesses to what God accomplished through Jesus Christ. And certainly we see the apostles doing that. And I, as we read through the New Testament, we see that the gospel transforms believers and gives us a desire to go out and spread the gospel. And... Um, and, and that's going to be a sign that the Lord's at work in this church is that we have a, we're going to have a passion for helping other people come to know Christ. Um, and it's going to, again, need to be something that we're praying about because we're definitely not living in a time where uh, telling others about Jesus is seen as something important or um, even right Somebody I saw uh, asked AI for good places. Uh, it was uh, Google AI. I don't know what that one's called, but um, they, they asked the Google AI for good places to witness in Dallas. And the Goog Google AI, whatever its name, there has a name for it. 
What? That is it. Yes, I'm right. So Bard said, um, I, I, that's not a good idea somehow, you know, in its AI language. It's not good to proselyze um, because you're, you're invading people's in space and um, their autonomy. But if you want to meet up with people, um, maybe you can get involved in a community service project or something like that. And so, um, obviously, AI got that from some programmers somewhere. Uh, <laughs> but that was reflective to me, I think, of how the general public must feel about sharing the gospel. And so it's not going to be surprising that we're going to be tempted to be kind of quiet about it as well. And so I think this is certainly something that is going to be a definite telltale sign that God is doing something special in a local church is when you're seeing people who love Christ so much that they're willing to be thought foolish and talk to others about, about him. Um, and I'm actually, you know, sometimes we need help. I'm praying that, I'm praying that God will raise up um, people with a passion for evangelism here in, in, in our church so that um, they can remind us that it's not normal for believers to go a long time without talking to someone about Jesus. Um, when you do get a chance to talk about Jesus with somebody else as a believer, um, you, you, you almost always go away feeling like this is what I was made to do, right? Even if they think you're foolish or silly, but like when you get that chance, you're like, wow, this is, so, this is what I was made to do. Why don't I do this? Why don't I do this every day? Um, and it's because it kind of is what we're made to do. And when we don't talk about Jesus with other people for a long time, I've found that usually believers get kind of weird, you know? Um, I've been in churches where people arguing about like crazy stuff and I'm and you know, such small things and 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 not really bothered that nobody in the church had shared the gospel in like thirty years, you know. But they're arguing about this hymn book and this particular hymn that it's like, guys, I think there's something bigger to be worried about, and that's that we don't have a heart for evangelism. And then finally, just one last one, um, for today at least, they were busy doing good for others as well. Luke ends, verse 46, he says, they were breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and, and generous hearts, glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And it's that last line, having favor with all the people. Um, a healthy church makes a difference in its community. Um, favor means grace or kindness or goodwill. And you have to ask, who was having favor with whom? Luke says, uh, with all the people, but the word with is really to or toward. So they're having goodwill toward the people is actually how you should translate that. And so um, Luke is saying the church showed goodwill toward the people of Jerusalem, showed favor toward the people of Jerusalem. And there's a couple different grammatical reasons why I say that. But what Luke is saying is um, God changed these people's lives 
And it didn't only cause them to share the gospel with others, it caused them to look around their city and say, how can we do good for Jerusalem? And I think that's going to be a sign. You know, um, if Jesus moved into this neighborhood here in Fullerton, I'm guessing um, he, he would care about the neighbors. And uh, we are Jesus' body here in Fullerton or wherever we, wherever we are. And so it would make sense that, like, if Jesus' body is here in Fullerton, that um, we, would, we would care about the community in which God has placed us and seek to do, uh, seek to do that, do others good um, and figure out how exactly to do that, um, which is exciting and, and hard work. But being part of a local church is a privilege and a responsibility, and we want to be effective, as effective as we can. And how can we be effective? making the main thing the main thing, devoting ourselves to the word, fellowship, and prayer, and then getting especially on our, knee, getting on our knees and especially asking God to help us be in awe, um, to be awake to how amazing he is, and to be willing to sacrifice for one another and um, tell people about Jesus and seek to do good to the people who are around us with joy and trusting God to build his church, because he's the one in charge, and he can do the impossible, and he did in the early church, First, end of verse 47. It's amazing to think that here, about a month earlier, the Pharisees um, crucified Jesus for claiming to be the Messiah, and yet 3,000 people are saved in Acts 2, and then it didn't stop there. At the end of verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, which is what we're asking him to do here. If you were going to say, okay, let's start a movement in Jerusalem, and here's how we're going to start a movement. There's going to be a guy who claims to be God, and uh, he's going to claim to be the Messiah that the Old Testament promised, and then he's going to get crucified on a cross, um, and all of his followers and primary teachers are going to be uneducated individuals who um, abandon him at the moment of his greatest need, you would probably say, I'm not sure that movement's going to accomplish uh, anything. That sounds like basically the worst way to start a movement. And yet, uh, here we are as a result of God's work through the apostles. And so as we uh, look at our church and think about ourselves, we might have lots of reasons for saying, you know what, what can we do? Who are we? There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that we can accomplish for God's glory. But if, if God could do these mighty works thousands of years ago uh, through those 12 apostles, certainly he can do uh, mighty works today uh, through Cornerstone Bible Church. And so hopefully, um, hopefully we'll be praying that God helps us not just be like a, um, a church that's surviving, but a really healthy, effective, vibrant church. Um, and kids, you guys get to be part of that. There's nothing, um, really, there's nothing greater that you can give your life to than the cause of Christ and the, the good of his people. And so um, better than being like in Congress, 
better than, I know, being on a, you know, space uh, uh, astronaut gets to go to the moon or something like that. And there's nothing better than being able to serve Christ and to serve his church.